welcome back to the Beer O'Clock Podcast. Bit of a special episode today. We're focusing on Carwin Sellers and two of their wonderful 2020 can boxes. We'll be doing a deep dive in the Carwin Collaborational before a quick chat about some of the logistics behind the Carwin Canvent calendar. And to that end, who better to have a chat with than Ben Duval from Carwin? Just want to say big thanks to Ben for jumping on the show and thank you to all listeners for listening as always. Cheers and enjoy. Here with Ben Duval of Carwin Sellers for the Beer O'Clock Podcast. Um, ben, just before we get started, could you just give us the elevator pitch for Carwin Sellers, just in case anyone out there doesn't know what you do? Well, oh, geez. We were like, I guess we call ourselves No Ordinary Bottle Shop um, because that's that's how we started 13 years ago. It was just a bottle shop, but we, you know, didn't didn't stay that way for, for long and we're so much more. We we added the bar sort of seven years ago, um, and that you know started with just a few taps, and it's grown you know exponentially. Um, we do a lot of events, and then we've got the other side of the business, which is the online component, where we do a lot of things like you know canvent beer clubs, uh, you know website sales. So it's a pretty pretty diverse um, little business now. Um, and ne- never a dull moment. <laughs> <laughs> and um, one of those uh, sort of online package sort of things you do as their Carwin Collaborational, which originally wasn't wasn't meant to be. Um, I'll, I'll let Angus take over with the questions, but um, it's what we're here to talk about today. And fascinated to hear what you have to say. Okay. Yeah, so no we're sort of we're sort of thinking, Ben. What was the original idea behind the Collaborational? Like, when did you start thinking about it? <laughs> When did it, you know, become what it was originally supposed to be? Oh, um, definitely it's one of those ideas we kicked around for a few years, um, Ben, Carwin and myself and a, and a couple of others. Um, I guess we, we, we wanted to put on a beer festival um, and we thought it would be fantastic to put it, put it on on the street outside of Carwin. Um, and then we, we thought we we quite heavily involved with trying to do collabs with breweries, um, sometimes bring breweries together, and we thought it'd be really fun to, you know, focus that, focus the festival on collaboration itself, and we could we could be matchmakers. And not only that, we are, you know, we as much as we uh, love the local scene, the Aussie scene. Uh, we're really excited by what's happening on the other side of the world or all around the world um, for that matter. Um, so we wanted to give it some, uh, some international focus as well. Um, I guess that's where, where the idea was, was born, um, to, you know, bring Aussie breweries together with international breweries who might have, they might have never even heard of each other. Yeah. And you know, get them to do an amazing collaboration and you know, meet up in Australia and and be part of this this festival. And that leads nicely into sort of my next question, which is about how did you come up with the pairings? Did brewers approach you with pairings, or did you put people together? It was you know, it was pretty organic for the most part. Like some were obvious, some had connections. So you know, it might be like. Boat Rocker and Demolin, for example, they're like one of my favourite pairings. We got talking to Boat Rocker, um, and they're like, we would love to, you know, we would love to go with Demolin. And Demolin, Demolin had already 
requested boat rocker. So it was, that one was really natural. Um, some others were, were actually really hard. Um, ones that you wouldn't have thought, like Mr. Banks was the last one that we managed to pair together. Um, oh, really? You would have thought there'd be hazy brewers in the States that would have been. Yeah, but they, they got a huge reputation here. But, you know, in America, there's like, you know, how many top tier hazy producers? So Yeah. <laughs> Um, and, yeah, was, and their stuff obviously wouldn't travel. They wouldn't. They wouldn't be sending their stuff over there, so they'd have no oh, reputation. <laughs> that's exactly right. I don't know if any IPA gets sent from Australia to America. Probably not. Not in a good no. state. There's, some, there's some, some really cool Aussie wild stuff going over to America, but I don't know about any IPAs. What's the point? Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, and maybe less Aussie stuff now that Shelton Brothers has gone, but that's a whole another another issue. Yeah, yeah, exactly right. Um, but yeah, just getting back to the question, it was a it was a real real mixed bag of putting the pairings together. Um, but it it was certainly fun when we got to play when we got to play matchmaker. That's for sure. When you were pairing that, did you have sort of ideas about what they were going to brew? Like, obviously, the festival wouldn't have worked if there were eleven hazies produced by these guys. Did you have some sort of input in? You guys can brew this, or did you let them we did. Sort of come up with it? Um, sort of my philosophy, our philosophy was, first of all, you know, pair them up, see what they want to do and let them sort of pitch, pitch an idea. Um, and, you know, the first sort of half a dozen breweries for the box, um, we were like, absolutely go for it. And then after that, you're, you're thinking a bit more about balance. So try and, you know, get them to go in the direction that you want to. So the last maybe two or three beers for the box I was like could you know would you mind doing this sort of style um and it made sense for those breweries to do those styles anyway which I guess answers the question of I had of why Mr Banks didn't do a hazy which I guess if you said they were one of the last pairings it makes sense that they They were they were they were the very last um so yeah I was I was trying to convince Chris and and Jesse from Interboro to to do a pastry stout because I, I knew that they both do fantastic um, pastry stouts as it is. Um, and I'm glad I did because that, that was that was right up there. That might be my favourite beer from the whole festival. He did a 10 it was or one 12 hour boil on that, on that stout and it's just got an incredible thickness and mouthfeel to it. Um, and then with that little bit of salt in there, just takes the edge off the sweetness. It's an incredible beer. It is. It's a ripper. And I love the, the dry pretzeling process as well. It's a great idea. Exactly. Um, so you had this great festival planned, then obviously COVID hit. Talk mm-hmm. us through cancelling that, moving the date, because it was originally moved to October and then you end up just moving, moving online. Yeah. Is that right? Yeah, you're taking me back to a dark place mid-March. Yeah. <laughs> um, so we were we were two weeks out from the the physical fe- physical festival on the street outside of Carwin. So the original date was twenty eighth of March. We had brewers that had left their home countries already to come here. We had a lot of beer on its way already. Some we were able to cancel the orders for. Um, others we still took the orders. So you know there was quite a bit of air freighted beer from you know the other side of the world, which we ended up. Um, selling a lot through cannibals actually in the bottle shop because the bar was was shut um but uh yeah we originally we postponed until 
until October. And then a few months later, we realized that that wasn't going to be, it likely wasn't going to be possible either. So we wanted to plan something that we knew we could plan and we knew we could execute. And that's when a virtual festival started sounding like a pretty bloody good idea. Um, you know, if back in March, if we talked about a virtual festival, I would have said no way, but a few months down the track and it seemed like, seemed like a great idea. It seemed like the most normal idea in the world three months on after. Yeah, strangely <laughs> enough, right? Oh, crazy. Um, were there cha- what sort of challenges did you face putting it online? Um, putting it online? Yeah, like, <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> um, you know, we didn't have a whole heap of expertise in that area. So we, you know, uh, we got Crafty Pint on board, which was, which was awesome. I mean, he was going to be involved with the original festival anyway, but he took on a greater role with the virtual festival. So very thankful uh, to James and the crew. Uh, we had Alistair Robbie from The Post Project came in and helped us with, uh, you know, the technical production on the day. Um, so big, big thanks to Alistair. Um, but, uh, you know, despite the, ch- the challenges and it was a little bit nerve-wracking leading up, I was pretty happy how it, how it turned turned out in the end um thought it, it thought it ran pretty well um it wasn't too polished it wasn't too um produced which is good kept it a little bit real um but on the other side of things there was the live side of the day and then there was a lot of videos that we got um got the individual breweries to to make and send in um and, and that was a bit challenging you know trying to get you know it might be Firestone walk on the other side of the world. It's like, I, I need this, this video guys. I, I need it, you know, by this date, but they were absolute champs. I can't speak highly enough of, uh, you know, Matt, Matt Brindelson from the, the brewmaster of Firestone Walker and, and Adrian Walker. They were, they were on board from the start, but, um, but yeah, it's, it's wasn't easy getting it all together, but pretty, pretty darn happy with the result. Yeah. I was very happy from a, a user's perspective. We, I thought it was great. Dylan, yeah, me too. Yourself? Yeah, no, I thought it was. I really liked, uh, especially things like the Demolin uh, little walkthrough and things like that. It's just really cool yeah. character. Um, yeah, no, I thought it was. It almost yeah. had something that a physical festival didn't in that regard, um, which was really cool. Yeah, so if we do it again next year, I really, I really enjoyed that Demolin walk around as well. So I'd love to get some more brewery tours um, involved. I thought that was great. Yeah, it was an aspect you can't really get at a festival. Like you can speak to a brewer or a rep or something, but that actual in-person interaction in their own site is really cool. Oh, absolutely. Couldn't, couldn't agree with you more. I was, was stoked with that. Um, yeah, Emily was a champ from, um, from Demolin as well. Yeah, absolutely. So you, you spoke about next year. What are you thinking? Are you yeah. thinking an in-person, in-person festival? Are you going to do it? Are you going to do something that's online, something that's maybe a mix of the two, maybe incorporate some of the video aspect into an in-person festival? I I don't want to give too much away, but <laughs> I can tell you that we will we will be doing a festival. Um, me saying I don't want to give too much away is also probably, you know, hedging my bets a little bit because who knows <laughs> what's happening in six months' time. I would say... Um, the most likely thing would be some sort of hybrid festival. Yep. Um, exactly how that would work. I'm not, not exactly sure. Um, 
but we're definitely committed to doing it next year. We had way too much fun this year. Um, we want to bring that momentum into the next one. Uh, we'll have some of the brewery, same breweries involved, but bring in a whole heap of new ones as well, make it bigger, make it better. Um, I just think it's, it's a great concept and, um, yeah, super happy with how it turned out. Um, yeah, you, you guys obviously enjoyed it. Definitely. Yep, very much awesome. so. <laughs> how many did you drink during the festival? <laughs> oh, it was a few. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, do not probably... big disclaimers. Do not try and drink the entire box on, <laughs> on festival day. I you think as soon as I read that, I added up the standard drinks and came out at 32 or something. It was like, oh, oh yeah, it was okay. tw- it was 27 one. standard drinks. 27, so. there you go. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I think I left the bigger ones for after. That was my plan. Uh, I think it just about yeah. worked. Because <laughs> it, roll- it rolled into gr- the grand final as well, which wasn't... <laughs> <laughs> it did. It did. I think some people. It absolutely destroyed a few people. A few people that I that I know. Um, but in t- in terms of the the timing with, with grand final and the last weekend of um, lockdown, actually, it couldn't have been better for a virtual festival. For sure, that oh, was perfect. Yeah, just perfect in that regard. So it's um, nice to have a bit of luck on our side like that after the you know what happened with the original festival. Yeah, and then the sort of it was a nice way to sort of almost end three pretty average months down here in Melbourne. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, so we've got eleven beers to go through today. We're just going to run through them quickly. We're not going to give our sort of deep opinions necessarily, but we are going to talk a bit about what we thought of the styles. Like, you know, does this match up with what you'd think on paper? Yeah. And, um, yeah. See how it and works. Yeah, we will do some personal opinion stuff after the run through of the beers, but um, I think it's easiest to set the stage if we just sort of talk about them first. Yeah. Um, so first up, there was Sailor's Grave and Arizona Wilderness, uh, Out Too Far, which was a hazy pale ale with coastal salt bush, hopped with Galaxy, Kashmir, and El Dorado. Yeah, so I think this made a bit of sense. I thought they probably would have gone with a kettle sour, the two of them, because both of them are sort of known for using local ingredients and things like that in their beers. Yeah, so the salt bush checks out. Yeah. The hazy pale did throw me for a loop, to be honest. It was not what I was expecting at all. I was maybe thinking, yeah, some sort of sour, some sort of weird farmhouse-y thing maybe. Yeah. But, um, yeah, not what I was expecting. No, definitely in that ballpark. Um, but they're both very sort of environmentally conscious, like Arizona Wilderness do a lot of stuff with like a food waste company and things like that. Sailor's Graver in that same sort of ballpark. You know, that's why they use all their local stuff. Yeah, very much so. Yeah, so I thought that was a really cool pairing. Like you said, it fits with that sort of... They did look for like-minded sort of breweries, and this sort of fits that. Yeah, so these guys actually met at the McKellar celebration we spoke about on the pod, um, well, probably a year ago now. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> when, when Sailor's Grave went over, over there as the first Australian brewery. Oh, that's right. Yeah. I um, that now. And yeah, so they met there and hit it off and that's how their Arizona wilderness ended up here. Lovely. Well, yeah, a good result, I think. Yeah. Um, next up was Ocho and Stillwater Artisanal's Deep Fake. Uh, kettle Soured Saison with Kiwi Hops, uh, Nelson Saban and Y80 with Oak Cubes and French Saison Yeast. Um, this is, it's a really interesting 
beer and it's sort of difficult to say like you do ever expect something like this but you know I saw it and I'm like yeah it makes sense that Ocho would make that and still water too that kind of checks out yeah they're both sort of um contract operations um in their various parts of the world um still waters from I'm pretty sure it's New York but it's one of those northeastern US yep. state ones um and yeah both really specialized in saisons um, what I was surprised that by though was that Stillwater's high, like most checked in beer on Untapped, is actually a big pastry stout. <laughs> well, there you go. I think Arizona Wilderness's most checked in is an IPA, so it doesn't always yeah. match up with what you know them for necessarily. Yeah, it is interesting though. Like it, it is. generally gives you a good idea of what's going on. I guess it depends if something if they're a small production sort of brewery and they have something at a big festival or something a lot of the time. That does sort of overtake stuff. And I think that's what it is. <laughs> yeah. Uh, next up, we had Mismatch and Track Brewing from Manchester, uh, Ever in a Day, which was a hazy double IPA with Citra, Galaxy, and Idaho 7. I think this makes sense. This made a lot of sense. Solid. Like, Mismatch do sort of solid hop-forward beers. Track, from what I understand, focus on, you know, hazies and sours in that very modern way that we do now. Yeah. Um... And yeah, this is just a nice sort of, in that sort of crossover IPA between the juicy juicy hazies and a bit of bitterness on the back end. And speaking of the, the crossover ones, the next one is sort of exactly that, uh, Felons and Firestone Walker's New Coast, which is a double IPA with sugarcane juice and Idaho gem hops. And as you can guess from the name, it's sort of partly East Coast, partly, partly West Coast, but kind of its own thing. Um, with this pairing, I didn't... Firestone is so varied, and I know so little about felons that I didn't really know what to expect. Yeah, so I, I was thinking about this before when we, you know, raised this idea of how to do the pod, and I was thinking they might go with, like, a sort of an Australian interpretation on Firestone's 805, which is that bit, that sort of lager that's taken over, like, the west coast of the United States. Is that, like, a New World sort of built yeah. sort of thing? New, yeah, New World, very very approachable. I think, like, bud drinkers sort of are going that way sort of thing. It's it's well-priced. It's, yeah. That would have been fun, I think. Uh, but Cause this fel- also... Fr- <laughs> from what I understand about felons, they're, like, a quite... They brew, brew pretty approachable stuff, and they've just got this amazing venue under the Story Bridge in Brisbane. Yep. Uh, and Firestone, you know, they do everything from approachable lagers that take up a huge percent of the Californian market to ridiculous barrel edge things that five people buy. <laughs> yeah, which is kind of why they're great. Um, so, yeah, it was, I think for me, it was hard to pick. I like your idea and um, I guess this this just sort of, yeah, this is an, an easy decision, I guess. Yeah. And it adds to the pack. Uh, we had Next up we had Edge Brewing and Beer here from Denmark. They are from um, Denmark. <laughs> native leaf, a saison made with uh, strawberry gum leaves, which are native to the sort of area of northern New South Wales that um, Edge Brewing are near, and Enigma hops. Um, I thought, I knew this would be weird. Yeah. Um, I maybe thought that they would do a lagery thing, just because, like, you know, Cool Hops has that sort of international recognition. I thought maybe there'd be something like that, but um, this also makes sense. Yeah, I was sort of thinking the light Belgian category, like a light Saison, a Belgian blonde, somewhere in there. So pretty close to what yeah, they... Not far off what what ended up happening. I never would have guessed strawberry gum leaves. 
And I guess we'll talk about that why later on. <laughs> uh, <perhaps>. We will. <laughs> <laughs> um, Broat Rocker and Demolin, uh, Windmills and Weather Veins, an Imperial Stout with Pasilla and Ancho Chilies, Cacao Nibs, Cinnamon Quills, and Charred Bourbon Barrel Staves, but in the mash, not sort of, you know, and I, brew. I think if they'd had more time, it may well have been barrel aged. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And um, I'm going to go ahead and say this is probably the most obvious <laughs> beer in terms of style. It's like, yeah. yeah. I think you and I said as soon as we saw that was the pairing that that well that'll be a big imperial stout and it'll be awesome. <laughs> yeah, I think I think I said the only way it's sort of like not is if they're trying to trip people up and they do something unexpected. Um, but yeah, no that. This is hundred percent checks out. True to form. That was the for me. That was the easiest lock in of the entire pack. <laughs> yeah, I agree. I agree. And um, I, I like they did they did do something a little bit different than maybe what I would have thought. Yeah. So tried something with it, which is cool. Um, other side and garage project uh, bubbles, which is a West Coast IPA with Vic Secret, Nelson Savon, and Strata. Uh, garage project is similar to Firestone in that it could be anything. Uh, yeah. But you know this makes sense. Yeah, I thought that this might be, just because the way Other Side brew sort of everything and Garage Project brew sort of everything, that they might have gone something multi just to, like, you know, break up the big IPAs. Yeah. But, yeah, West juicy West Coast IPA, that makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> um, Deeds and Outer Range Brewing, who I don't actually know much about. Um, they're from Colorado um, and brew lots of sort of hazies and stuff like that. Um, their website says they specialise in IPAs and Belgians. Um, but again, using untapped as a met- as a metric, which isn't perfect, um, their first 16 most checked in beers are hazies <laughs> or variations thereof. And I imagine Deeds would be similar with the exception of possibly Lamington, if that's still on there. Uh, possibly, yeah. I haven't actually looked, but I'm, I'm sure you're not wrong. Anyway, they did the Daughters of Neptune together, a hazy double IPA with Citra Crow and that new Eclipse Hop. Yeah, um, which is really cool. I did notice it was listed as HPA 016 on the Deeds one and out of range just went out straight out and called it Eclipse. Yeah. Uh, this, I think this is probably the second easiest to guess for me. This is, um, yeah, pretty obvious. This, <laughs> this, was, all, this was always going to be this. Yeah. Big hazy, pretty much what Deeds has been knocking out constantly for the last year or two. So yeah, yeah. Uh, Hawkers and Bale Breaker. Nick feels left out. A triple IPA with Yakima Chief Experimental Hop Six Nine Two. This is a third of a trilogy, starting with Tom needs more friends and Steph likes a party, and then this is the triple version of that. So that's single, double, and this is the triple. And this was, I think, the best one. And yeah. <laughs> Uh, this this makes a lot of sense as well though because Bale Breaker I think the only hop uh, only brewery in the world in the middle of a hop field. Oh okay, that's so out. they're they're in the middle of Yakima, uh, the Yakima Valley, you know, the world's biggest hop producing region, um, and they um, yeah started a brewery on one of the farms. I can't remember which one. I think. I thought it would be hoppy, but I thought maybe they might do a stout thing just because hawkers do do a lot of, uh, you know, barley wines, wheat wines, stouts. Um, but like you alluded to sort of before with Bro Rocker, perhaps the time wasn't there. Yeah, I, I think the time was probably partial, a partial issue. Um, next up, we have One Drop and Cascade, who did Dragon Fruit, Kiwi and Peach, a fruited Berliner Weiss with 
dragon fruit, kiwi, and peach. Uh, two types of lactobacillus. Uh, this makes sense for Cascade. Not so much for One Drop, but to be honest, One Drop is still new-ish. They have, I think they're known for hazies, but they do do. They've done some kettle cells and stuff, so yeah. One Drop is sort of still in that introductory phase where they're releasing a million beers. No one really knows what they're doing consistently. Um, yeah, it's all pretty yeah. good, so they've got a bit of a name, but um, yeah. Yeah, um, and this was super impressive. Anyone who says they were going to, they guessed a dragon fruit, kiwi fruit, and peach sour is lying. <laughs> a sour, perhaps. I, I thought maybe a sour, just because of Cascade. Yeah, but yeah, um, not not this particular one. <laughs> yeah, a little Berliner makes sense. Yeah. Um, finally, there was Mister Banks in Interboro, who I don't know, but I'm going to assume they're from New York from the name. They are from New York. Um, making me thirsty, an imperial stout with cacao nibs, vanilla beans, and 50 grams a litre of pretzels. I was thinking it might be hops, I'm, but yeah. I'm glad you grabbed that, because I was going to say it if you didn't. <laughs> the grammage per litre of pretzels. Well, they called it the dry pretzeling process. Uh, yeah, it's beautiful. Yeah, which is great. Um, for those who listen to the Steal This Beer um, podcast Interborough is the brewery of um, Jesse McPherson uh, Ferguson, who Augie Carton speaks about constantly, and was his original brewer. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> yes, I was thinking maybe hops. Just I was like New York yeah. brewery, uh, Mister Banks. But this also makes sense. Pastry styles, Mister Banks like doing them clearly. You look at the eleven Australian brewers; they're the ones who have to do the pastry stout. There has to be a pastry stout in this sort of pack. Yep. That makes sense. Yeah. And my notes were literally hops slash stout. So we're in the ballpark. Yeah. <laughs> it was always going to be one of the two. Yeah, exactly. Um, so I think next up we were going to do a top five each of out of the pack, sort of most, you know, things we enjoy the most. Do you want to go, we'll go like five, five, four, four. Should we do it like that? I like it. I like um, it. So number five for me was uh, the Ocho and Stillwater's Deepfake. Nice. Mine was the one drop yep. and Cascade, the dragon fruit, kiwi fruit and peach one. Yep. Uh, number four for me was Daughters of Neptune, the Deeds one without a range. Yep. Uh, number four for me was Mr. Banks Interborough, Making Me Thirsty, the uh, pretzel stout. <laughs> number three for me was Windmills and Weather Veins, which is Boat Rocker and Demolin's uh, Mole stout. It is for me as well, Boat Rocker and DeMolin's uh, Windmills and Weather Vanes, which is named after the logos of the two breweries. Yeah. Which I, which I hadn't clocked until no. this, this afternoon. <laughs> the, wind, the windmills I got, but the weather vane, I yeah, uh, had to think about. It's a cool name. Um, yeah, it works well. I Extra points because it's easy to find and untapped. A lot of <laughs> it's these very easy to find. <laughs> yeah. Uh, number two for me was Dragon Fruit, Kiwi and Peach, the uh, Cascade and... One drop, one. Lovely. Uh, two for me was the Deeds and Outer Range Daughters of Neptune. And number one for me was Making Me Thirsty, the Pretzel Stout by Mr. Banks and Interborough. Oh, very interesting. And number one for me was the Hawkers and Bale Breaker, Nick Feels Left Out. There we go. Uh, that would have that was a very big toss-up for me, top five uh, deep fake or that. I just sort of just went for deep fake because it was very interesting. Yeah, yeah. I think I did the same thing with deep fake where I had it sort of level I bumped it up to the top of those <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> um yes yeah, so that, that's an interesting top five I mean uh, I think we can both we can say that the stouts were big successes from that from what we've said there yeah yeah um, and I think that's 
I think the way both of us do things, I don't think that's bumping the stouts up just because they're Imperial stouts. You know, no, how? definitely not for me, at least. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah exactly. Um, you didn't have... What were yours? Four, three and four? Your stouts? Uh, three and four, yeah. Yeah, so, and I mean, like, I would have perhaps expected... Maybe you would have them one and three, and I would perhaps have them a bit lower. So it's definitely... Yeah, we're definitely taking on their merits there, I think. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, uh, so we'll go on to our most disappointing. Uh, this is not trying to... We understand difficulty of making beers in this situation. This is more of a discussion thing. It's not taking pot shots or anything. No. Um, no. Just just a discussion. Just just discussion. Take it easy. And I think it's important to distinguish disappointing from worst. Yes, yeah. So um, I think, you know, we can probably discuss... There's probably two that fit both those kind of categories. Um, maybe maybe one that fits more than one of the categories than the other, um, but I think we can just talk about the two beers that would be the ones you mentioned. Um, at least for me, there's obviously yep. there's more. Um, I think most disappointing for me was probably Bubbles, but I could um, also hear an argument for Native Leaf. I think I was expecting a lot from Bubbles as like a West Coast IPA from two breweries that I like quite a bit, and it was just kind of there. Yeah, no, I'm very much the same. I would have Bubbles because of what I was expecting they would produce. And it was just, it needed that little bit more. Yeah, it was just a bit flat. It just didn't really hit for me. Um, didn't really, like, it reached those heights that, like, a big West Coast IPA should, um, like, a really good one. And that's, it was a little bit disappointing. <laughs> like, it had all the elements there. There was pine, there was some juice, because they were going for a juicy one. They had that that quite Venus Nelson character that you get. And there was some bitterness, but it didn't really, none of those elements popped and really took it to the next level. Yeah. I'd agree with that. Uh, it just sort of didn't really reach any great heights for me. And that was a yeah. disappointment. Um, Native leaf, I think is probably what most people would have on here, but I think it's probably objectively the worst, but yeah. I think it was interesting. And I also, I wasn't expecting as much from that as I was from Bubbles. And I think that's pretty... Native Leaf is pretty true to kind of Edge's vibe. Yeah. And, um, you know, a eucalyptus beer is... Um, it's it's interesting. Like, it doesn't really work, but you got to respect them having a crack at it, I think. It was a nice idea. I'm just surprised they ended up actually releasing it. And, like, I didn't hate it as much as others did. I think it's a 2.5 and untapped, which is bad for a hype sort of beer like yeah yeah 2.57 is the global yeah um and i think it was three ish for me and you were probably around that mark yeah 2.75 yeah um but i i liked it for what it was like it was um it's had that quite sort of i think you mentioned marker like you know like a whiteboard marker did have that on the nose a lot and eucalyptus is just a, a strange flavor to have in a beer but i didn't dislike it it was intriguing, um, and I'm happy that I tried it. I think it I quite like the niche. floral element it had. Like it had yeah. a floral thing and a funky thing that was quite nice, and it was just that marker aroma, like really like smelling a brand new sharpie or something like that. Yeah, and I think if I could not smell it, then perhaps I would have liked it more. Yeah, I think so. I think so. I think the other disappointment for me, just not not necessarily a beer, but um, I was hoping to see a little bit more variance of styles, like lots of big IPAs, and obviously they're the thing. Would have loved, like, I know time's a problem, but something multi, uh, you know, something lager-ish, even if they couldn't quite do a, a whole lager, maybe do an old beer or something. Well, that's why I thought we had we had a potential lager in Felons and Firestone, 
and we had a potential multi one in other side and garage project, and both went down the IPA route. Yeah, um, and that's fine. Like you know, everyone loves. IPAs oh yeah, absolutely. The thing, but it, it was a little bit disappointing. I sort of looked at it and I was kind of like, oh, there's a lot of similar-ish kind of stuff here. Yeah, yeah, I completely agree. Um, anything else for disappointing? Were you? No, no, they're the two. <laughs> yeah, for me. Um, biggest surprise, I think, for me, uh, deep fake was such a strange concept, so well executed. Um, it threw my taste buds for a loop a bit. I sat on that beer for ages. Like so we should say, sorry, this is a saison that is pretending to be a wine, and it only it doesn't have grapes or anything in it. It's just oak, yeast, and uh, Nel- hops. Nelson and, and Yeti. Yeah, yeah. And it's um, remarkably close. Yeah, they've done so well, haven't they? Like, yeah. I bumped it up for the the execution of the idea sort of thing. Yeah. Um, I it's, it's seriously an impressive go at what is kind of a strange concept. It's not one of those things you'd drink a lot of, but it was a really interesting yeah. idea to sit and try and wrap your head around. I definitely wouldn't, like, be craving, yeah, more of them necessarily, but... um. As a, like, you know, a show of execution of brewing skill, it's pretty remarkable effort. Yeah, pretty perfect for what they did. Like, it's the perfect beer for this pack. Sort of yeah, thing. agreed, agreed. Um, Sailor's Grave doing a hazy is a surprise for me. Yeah, so that's surpri- that surprised beer. me as well. Um, I wonder if that was the Arizona Wilderness influence um, without really knowing enough about what they do. Yeah. Um, but otherwise... Having Saltbush in makes a lot of sense there. Yeah, it's still a Sailor's Grave beer, <laughs> like, with that in there. Yeah. Still ranch with some. But it was just a Hazy Pale. Like, a, like their Saltbush, maybe there was a little bit of salinity on the back end, but I didn't pick up a lot. No, it, it didn't do heaps. Um, it, was a, it was a cool little beer. Cruisy little... Yeah, absolutely. My biggest surprise, and it's going to sound like I'm beating down on them a little, but I'm slightly surprised Edge released... What they what they did? <laughs> I guess maybe it was at the stage where I know it they had were, to go in. Yeah, yeah, and they were like, maybe maybe they thought some people, and I'm sure some people have found uh, plenty to like in it. I thought it was interesting. I um I I'm yeah, I thought it was cool. It was in I, there. I thought it was cool, um, but yeah, just that that aroma. I wonder if that aroma would sort of age Sorry. out over time. Like if yeah. you had it, if you left it in can for six months, would that be gone? I'm sure they didn't want it to be there as prominently as it was. Um, yeah. Maybe they should have put a note on there saying, don't smell it. <laughs> Hold your nose and drink it. <laughs> Hold your nose. <laughs> That's what you want to hear when you've got a can of beer in your hand. Just perfect, isn't it? <laughs> I guess the other a sort of silly sort of surprise for me was um, just Mr. Banks doing the dry pretzeling just because it's a very funny way to do it. Yeah. Um, and, I mean, they're probably so used to hopping everything that why not just take the same concept and do it with pretzels? Makes sense. Yeah. And uh, I, I reckon you got pretzel on that because I reckon there was salt in that beer. Yeah, definitely. And it was, had this kind of biscuity thing going on that I reckon was, yeah. And it wasn't um, it wasn't cloying despite it being a big pastry. Like it, you could drink that. I think the salt, that was that was the salt for me, I think. Yeah, um, I think so as well. It was fairly sweet. and like, But the vanilla was like nice and balanced and yeah, it was very well done. Yeah. Um, best can art, I think, goes to Bubbles for me. I was going to give it to Felons 
just because I didn't think they were great on the whole. Yeah, no, they weren't. They were kind of... There's a lot of, like, just okay-looking cans, isn't there? Yeah, yeah. I, th- I don't know what's, what about the Felons one stood out to me, but it was just a little bit better. And I felt it was boring giving it to Garage Project, who win every single can, can design award. <laughs> it is a very nice-looking can, though. Yeah, it's just clean. Like, yeah. Um, I will say that uh, the sales go about too far and Mr. Banks making me thirsty are... Very nice. They're very representative of the normal kind of style those breweries do, but they are nice-looking cans still. Yeah, that's true. The the sort of open can bit on the top of the Sailor's Grave one in particular is nice. Yeah, yeah. Um, just cool. They, they've always got good visual design, and this is no exception. Yeah. Um, I think we should mention the awards that people voted on. Um, yep. So Best Can Art was voted to be Bubbles. Which, you know, checks out. Understandable. Um, Garage project. Tick. Yep. <laughs> Best beer of the festival was voted to be windmills and weather vanes. Um, That's interesting. Yeah. It sort of checks out. I mean, people like Imperial Stouts. Sitting fourth on the global um, check-ins as of this afternoon. In terms of the, the global ranking? Untapped ranking, yeah. 4.08. Well, what are the top three out of interest? Uh, Deeds is number one at 4.15. Mr. Banks is 4.12, Hawker's is 4.11, and then the Boat Rocker to Mullen at 4.08. That that checks out, um, yeah. That makes sense in terms of what you think about what people are into at the moment. Yeah, yeah, it really does. And then there's a bit of a drop-up, uh, 3.97 for Felons at 5, the other side in Garage at 3.91, and it's just down from there. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so I guess that that's the Cohen collaboration or that's sort of for, for 2020 um i am i really hope they do this again i would love to go to a thing in person yeah absolutely and that's the sort of festival i think you can get off the ground relatively small numbers outside yeah i think they'll yeah they'll they'll make it work next year if it's possible i'd probably pay you know the same amount for a ticket with like some tasters of all of them as i did for the box sort of thing yeah yeah absolutely um, yeah. And anything else you'd like to mention? Not really. Content was good. Maybe the glass. Yeah. Maybe the glass yeah. is the only thing that I've heard people complain. Apparently there were two glasses. Have you heard that? Oh, was there? No, I haven't. Oh, okay. So there was the one that most people got, which looks sort of like a mini IPA glass with a lip. Yep. Uh, and then there was like a stemless teku one, which, oh, cool. sound, which sounds really cool. Maybe they just had a very small number of them, or maybe they had to rush some at the last minute or something. I think they might have been for brewers or something, and then the punters were getting the other ones. But yeah, oh, that makes sense. Something along those lines. Um, I I like the little glass. It's funny. Yeah, it's cool. It's like it's obviously that would have been your tasting glass at the festival. Yeah, so I like that they've made that work, and also it kind of works for a lot of the beers. They're all pretty high ABV and stuff. So yeah, some of them you didn't want to be sculling, like some people did. It's a nice reminder to um, yeah, take it take it slow, drink responsibly. Yes, very much so. Um, yeah, I would overall say big thumbs up for me though. Uh, yeah, great work from Cohen. Absolutely, as always, guys, you've done brilliantly. <laughs> yeah, um, thoroughly enjoyed. Let us know if you like this sort of format of the pod where we focus on something. 
Yeah, we'll probably do it again with other stuff where it's going to take up too much time in a regular podcast. Yeah, keep keep them, try and keep them a little bit shorter. We should never set time constraints for ourselves because we inevitably blow right by them. The beauty is you don't have to necessarily set time constraints for yourself if you're doing it outside of a normal podcast. Well, that's right, because you guys can choose whether you listen to it or not. Yeah, you can just ignore it entirely. But if you've made it this far, thank you for listening. Um, and, yeah, hope to see you all around the traps, maybe at um, Cohen Collaborational 2021. Exactly. As promised, for something more timely, here's our chat with Ben DeBell of Carwin Sellers about some of the challenges behind the Canvent this year, some of the things that he's enjoyed so far early in the piece, and so on and so forth. Um, so while we've got you on, Ben, seeing as we've been delayed a little and we're now in December, I think we yep. may as well talk about the Canvent that you guys do every year. Uh, yep, yeah. it's Canvent season. I'm actually drinking day three right now, so I'm drinking... Uh, Mountain Culture uh, Chock-A-Block. I'm also uh, drinking Mountain Culture Chock-A-Block. <laughs> well, funny about that. That's awesome. You've obviously got a can vent. Good to hear. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I spend far too much money with you every year. <laughs> excellent. Love to hear that. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, pretty cracking beer, actually. It's, a, it's an oat cream IPA, so, you know, pipe style. But... Yeah. Um, Drinks dangerously very, easily. Very well done, yeah. Because it's obviously the thing with Canvent, it's got to be planned. You've got to get the beer a bit ahead of time so you can pack it and whatnot. And it gives some of these styles like, say, an oat cream IPA, which is we get in our fridge for mountain culture and then it's sold out the next day and people are drinking it that night. They're probably drinking it too fresh and too green um, yeah, a lot I of the time. Definitely agree. This beer has no, like, greenness at all. It's like next to no bitterness. It's like drinks away too smooth and easy. It's just fruit juice at this point. Like, <laughs> yeah. these yeah. are. Yeah, I was going to say these hype cans from uh, Mountain Culture and Range and Mister Bank. I, I swear they drink best, you know, like two, three weeks on. So I think you're definitely onto something there. Yeah, I mean, ideally they would, you know, hold them back for a week or two, but you know that's not going to happen. <laughs> no. Now there's too much demand for that. Um, yeah. So yeah, the, the whole Canvent thing must be an absolute yeah. disaster for you because you've got what, 24 brewers this year, 25, but we'll get onto that in a minute. Um, oh yeah, yeah. How? It's been, it's been yeah. an interesting past four weeks. I'll say that much. <laughs> I mean, yeah. trying to deal with because Canvent, Canvent normally is you know. It's, it's a bit of a logistical task, to put it lightly. And then we decided to put it in two 12-packs this year. So we've got double the amount of boxes um, to pack, which is just more complication. And then when you add in the, obviously, the recalled can and having to repack, like, all these boxes and then send out all these replacement cans as well, and then... Th- the whole time that was happening, at the very same time, we were trying to reopen the bar for the first time in seven months. So we didn't have the staff. It was, uh, it was, we got through, but it was pretty hairy. Yeah, cutting it close for a few people, I think. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. How many packs did you do this year? Because I reckon I saw more people this year commenting yeah. that I oh, missed out on Canvent, you know, 
Stuff um, like that. Were you up on previous years? About the same? Yeah, look, I'm, it's closely guarded secret. Yep. I'm going to say exactly <laughs> how many we do. But we did about 10% more than we did last year. And they sold out in, what was it, 25 hours this year? Yeah, so that, that caught us off guard. That was that was crazy because we we make a lot of them. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think it was a, a combination of it was right on the back of the collaborational box where I feel like we over-delivered and people loved the box. So they felt like they could trust us with Canvent. Um, and then also, you know, in lockdown, the, you know, these sort of boxes go go really well. I mean, all of our beer club subscriptions went up and that sort of thing. Um, yeah, I think it was a combination of, of those sort of two factors and it just went went nuts. Yeah, people getting more used to buying online, all that sort of stuff. Yeah, just sort of, is, yeah. you're absolutely right, yeah. Um, is the brewery selection process sort of similar to what you did with the collaboration? Like, do you have a preference towards people who've done done in the past for you? Do you try and get like a certain number of new breweries in? All that yeah, sort of- we, we try and put a fair bit of new blood in each year. And then you might get a run of a couple of years in Canvent and then you're out for a couple of years. I think Little Bang are the only brewery that's been in every year. I could be wrong. Um, but I don't know. Those guys are just too much fun not to put in every year. Yeah. <laughs> Um, they always put something good in. <laughs> yeah, it, no, exactly right. Um, yeah, it's just like who who we've. It's a combination of breweries that we know are top class in Australia, breweries that we've got good relationships with, and breweries that we're seeking out to put in because we've heard about them or they're an up and comer. We love putting a few surprises in there, you know, every year. Yeah, um, just to make people go, what what is this can? I've got my hand. I've never heard of these guys. and It's delicious. We may as well get on to the replacement can. Um, Cause mm. I reckon dollar bill for a lot of people who aren't right at the pointy end. That's probably yeah. one of those um, breweries that people wouldn't have heard of. Um, yeah, obviously sure. producing amazing stuff. <laughs> yeah. But what happened there? Why did you end up having this extra, you know, logistical part, shipping out? Yeah, sure. Like, I'm, I'm happy to go over it. Um, so as a bit of a point of difference this year with Canvan, we ended up getting a lot of Australian wild ales in there. Um, I guess like at Carwin, we're huge fans of, you know, Australia, the Australian wild scene. We tried to ch- we try to champion it, which means we're, yeah. we're mates with a lot of these brewers. So when I was organising Canvent, I was like, oh, I'll just ask, you know, a few of my favourite wild producers thinking I might get one yes. And just about all of them said um, I'd love to be involved, um, which I was like, that's amazing. This is going to be the best Canvent ever. Um, but I guess, you know, producing those sorts of beers and having them can condition um, has its own challenges. Mm. Especially, especially when those guys wouldn't have done that before, like a lot of that's, them that, That's true. And especially for Canvent where it's really on a timeline. I mean, if, you, if you're releasing your own beer and you can conditioning, you can give it, let it sit for a couple of months, make sure mm. you're not going to have any issues and that sort of thing. So, yeah, I 
you know, just because it's got that timeline like that. So sometimes I think beers can potentially get a little bit rushed. I mean, we're not the only um, advent calendar that's had issues. Um, mm. That's for sure. Um, I don't know if you saw the photo on Worst Beer Blog, I think yesterday, of the Swedish <laughs> advent calendar that had day two blowouts. Yeah. And I was just like, I was just like, thank God we caught it when we did. <laughs> thoughts when we saw when I saw that but I, I love Dollar Bill they're one of my favorite breweries in Australia they're one of two of my favorite people in Australia she and Ed and um and yeah it was just just one of those things it was that it from, from what I've heard it was a, a priming sugar issue it was they, they batch primed um the beer and it may have not been mixed in fully um uh, which meant that it was probably isolated to, you know, a smaller amount of cans, right? Yeah. So, you know, we sort of tried to work out a timestamp of this is where, you know, cans are, well, were, you know, exploding, and then how far from that timestamp is safe. And then we were just like, you know what, it's, safety is the number one concern here um, and made the call basically straight away we're on the phone to fee and we're like no we, we're gonna have to recall this so there's a really tough decision dollar bill we're, we're great about it and they've been great about it since i feel terribly for them mm. um you know they'll they'll bounce back there's no, no questions about that um and it was you have to go through a full very, recall process day at the warehouse oh yeah we <laughs> discovered that um but we we quickly moved on to trying to find a replacement yeah and it's handy that you've got muzzin down the road who you'd have a good relationship with you you go through a heap of their beer um what was that call like to muzzin <laughs> have you got anything Look, I, lying to around quite, to be quite <laughs> honest with you i was i was actually over um, at Thornbury at the, at the bar and, and bottle shop that day because we were just about to open the venue. So I was focusing on that. So Ben Carwin made that call, his, his good friends with, with Maz from way back. And um, I, I think actually, I think Maz called Ben and said, if there's anything I can do to help. And it was like, actually, yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> what weird barrel have you got lying around, Maz? And it's almost ready well, that you can help small, us with <laughs> More than weird barrel, weird barrels. So yeah. it's, a, it's a blend of all sorts of things. It's a real uh, bitzer of a beer. But uh, I don't know if you got. Did you guys try it yesterday? Yeah, I had it last night. It's it's turned out well considering it's it was rushed. Out, it's turned out really well. It's delicious. It's super Christmassy. Um, it's yeah. It's I'm super stoked with how it turned out. Thanks, how many Matt. days did they have to pull that together? <laughs> They, you know, to get it to you and get it packed and yeah, shipped around the country. And... I'm trying to think. I think they got it to us in less than a week. Like, it was ridiculous. That's crazy. <laughs> yeah, That's exactly crazy. right. Crazy. So they, you know, obviously they did some testing of the blend, decided what they were going to do, designed a bloody label, canned it, the whole thing, and delivered it in less than a week. It's, it's pretty remarkable what, you know, what some of these guys can do. Well, what the industry can do when they, you know, really put their mind to it. Yeah, oh, exactly. Um, I wanted to ask Ben just about day one. Um, one of my favourite things when I go to Calvin Sellers and you have, you know, the big Imperial uh, 
stouts on tap and you have, you know, nope or nah under the, the pint thing. That always gives me a laugh. And that sort of yeah. seems to feed into the, doing a mini can of barley wine, which I thought was a fantastic idea. Was that uh, a conscious decision to sort of keep the alcohol down? Or was it just sort of something you thought might be fun to kick it off? Oh, there was no, nothing to do with that. It was to do with how the hell can I fit a can into a glass? Um, that's, that's where that came from. Okay. Um, so this was like probably not long after last year's can vent. We were just, Ben and I were, were spitballing. I was like, it'd be, it was like, it'd be really cool if everyone had a glass to drink from all month. Um, we thought, yeah, it'd be a cool branding opportunity, but really cool to, to have a glass, you know, can van themed glass to drink for the month. And we're like, how are we going to fit that in the pack? Um, and, you know, we didn't want to put in a 25th, you know, slot or change the shape of the, the box in that way. So, like, could we get a can small enough to fit inside a can-shaped glass? <laughs> and they were like, well, if we're going to do that, it's going to be a small can. Um, it's got to be it's got to be a stupid barley wine. Yeah, so, small can, big beer. Yeah, exactly right. It all seemed to make sense. It was so stupid that it made sense. And we're like, we have to do this. <laughs> and then we were like, well, who, who's going to be crazy enough to actually execute this for us? And then, um, yeah, I think we'd narrowed it down to it was either going to be Boat Rocker or Deeds. And it's just not an easy thing to do because, you know, these breweries have got canning lines that have to invest in tens of thousands of dollars of, you know, equipment so they could, you know, they could can these small cans. So it had to be done off-site. So the Deeds crew ended up brewing this barley wine and putting it into, like, what is essentially a giant, you know, goon sack and then taking it off-site to this canning facility. Um, so it was, it was, it was a, quite the headache for, for, for the Deeds crew, but um, they credit to them, they pulled it off. And, again, it's turned out well. <laughs> yeah, and the beer's delicious. Yeah, it's awesome. Absolutely awesome. Um, my last question is about the... Two boxes of 12 this year. Mm-hmm. Why weren't they numbered 1 through 12 and 13 yep. through 24? Yep. Oh, why, why were they done that way? Yeah, um, why were they not done as 1 through 12 and 13 through 24 is probably the better question. Because well, well, we thought it was completely boring drinking 12 hop-driven beers in a row and then your 12 mystery beers in a row. Um, we thought it was far more interesting to jump around during the month. Um and I guess if you're stuck for fridge space, then you can just put the hop box in the fridge. And then the mystery pack on the day that that beer features, put that one in the fridge. I thought it was pretty simple, but, you know, a few people had problems with it. That's fine. <laughs> um, you know, we, we enjoy that as well. Perfect. Perfect. Is there anything else you would like to tell us or tell the listeners, Dan? Uh, it's, been, it's, been it's been a crazy year. Yeah, um, I, I I don't even know what to say. It's been um, it's been a, a busy time work wise. Really looking forward to to next year. Now that we're we're back in trading as per normal, we've got we've got a lot of things planned for next year. So just just watch this space really. And and thanks to everyone for the support. Re- really appreciate it. Um, you know. You have a choice where to spend your money and people supporting some of the things that we've done, it really, really means a lot. 
Yeah, that's been a very common theme through our sort of COVID interviews of people just thanking people for really, you know, spending their money where where it's important to spend their money at this time, you know, support small business, support local, all of that sort of stuff. Absolutely, yeah. I think that's Dylan? about that's just about all we had. I think I, I don't have anything more to add. Um, thanks heaps for your time, Ben. Really appreciate it. Anytime, guys. It's been fun. And um, well, hopefully, well, not hopefully, almost certainly, we'll be down at the bar soon. So. <laughs> <laughs> no worries, guys. I have a beer with you. Cheers. Yeah, wonderful. Lovely. Thank you so much. Have a good Cheers, one. Ben. Legends. Um, as always, you can get in touch with us at Angus at beeracloakaustralia.com or Dylan at beeracloakaustralia.com. Um, one of the few podcasts where I haven't drank and still struggling to pronounce the email. Arguably pronouncing it worse than normal. Yeah, yeah. Let's maybe need the lubrication. To... <laughs> uh, yeah, we will be back with regularly scheduled podcasting shortly. And yeah. Cheers, everyone. Thank you.